This is the EWN Podcast Network. are listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is my friend Larry Tomiyama, who has spent 32 years of his life in the school system in Canada. Oh my goodness, Uh, this is going to be interesting. I certainly uh, have had some experience with my son going to school, but that's it. And uh, it's always been fascinating to me why someone would uh, want to pick that as a career. It takes a very special person to do so. Larry, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome, Helen. Thanks for making me feel old with that, but uh, I feel good, so it's all good. (laughs) Well, you must have started when you were really young. Okay, so you spent uh, six years as a teacher. I just want to get a little bit of your background to why don't you share that uh, so then we know how it got to the important work that you're doing today. Yeah, so in 1985-ish, I graduated from the University of Calgary with a teaching degree uh, in my areas were social studies and phys ed, so I was lucky enough to get a job in that. Um, wasn't sure what I was going to do at that point, and a bunch of my friends were thinking about going into administration, and I said, well, why not? We haven't, let's try that. If we don't like it, we can always go back because we love teaching as well, so I got into administration, and in the Calgary Catholic system, you start off as an assistant principal and then kind of move forward into a vice principalship and principalship um, where I got to do that, and I was a principal for 12 years, and in between there, I was also worked at central office in the instructional service department as a supervisor of diverse learning, so I got to hang out with uh, kids and teachers and parents of um, students with diverse learning needs. Um, After that, I was ready for something different. So I finished my career with Calgary Catholic at a school that was called Our Lady of Lords. And Our Lady of Lords was created to educate the most vulnerable, at-risk behavioral students in our district. Um, And that's really where the true gift that God provided me was working there with those kids and that staff to show me why I got into education and what's important about education. And I get to uh, use some of those experiences and what I've learned there to help other people right now. So could you define diverse learning, what that means? Are you talking about children from uh, I don't want to say bad homes. I, I don't like to say that. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what yeah. I mean. And are you dealing with kids with mental illness? Are you, can you expand on what diverse uh, student is? Absolutely. Everything under the sun, other than maybe your typical student, Helen. So students with uh, minor learning disabilities, all the way to students who... Um, mental health needs, students who have been incarcerated because of things that they've done in their life, uh, students with severe autism, students with cognitive needs, with medical needs. So anything other than a typical student that was under the umbrella uh, and what came to be my favorite uh, students to work with was students with severe behavior. 
Uh, and that's who I got to work with at Our Lady of Lords. And so diverse is exactly what it is, anything out of the norm. Um, so students that might need some extra help or some special programming to make them successful. Mm. I know that um, through just knowing you in our, in our speaking uh, class together that we had, there was one child in particular that really got to you, wasn't there? Yeah, there were, there were many, but uh, that particular student in particular, um, very, very, di- again, diverse background, lots and lots of trauma in his life, uh, bringing him, uh, his behavior was very, very uh, concerning, uh, would, could not function successfully in a typical school. So after a bunch of unsuccessful landings in other schools, he arrived at Our Lady of Lords, where I got to be. Um, and then seeing him and understanding that it wasn't about him becoming a student as much as um, us showing him as a community um, that there's somebody that cares about them and that he's worth the time that we're putting in with them. And then watching him grow and flourish once that safety that he knew that he was with people that he trusted was there. And um, it was such a gift to have been part of that school, to watch the staff work with these students, be a part of working with these kids and uh, understanding that unless kids feel safe and they feel that they're in an environment where they can trust people, it's pretty hard to teach them. Yeah. And, and how long was that process? It, it doesn't happen overnight, does it? Years. Years, years. yeah. The first step that we, in the model that we used at Our Lady of Lords was safety. So how do we prove to this student that no matter what happens, that they're going to be safe? Because sometimes in the environments that they um, used to be in part of or are currently part of out of the school, it's not safe. So how do we prove to them that it's safe um, and then it becomes uh, the next step becomes security where security means I'm willing to try even though I might fail. And if we can create that, that is a huge, huge step. Uh, And then the next step is trust that they're willing to do whatever it takes um, because they trust whatever happens, it's going to be okay. And that's a process. I mean, literally years, for a number of these kids. And some of them, I was there for two years. Some of them were still in the safety realm because they were so damaged. And does it, so, and, and how many hours a day are they in, in the school with you uh, or, your, or your team? And then they go home and how much of it when they go home and does the day? Oftentimes the parents were doing the best they could. That was one thing that I reinforce to the staff, even though what we think in our worlds that they're doing such a bad, a poor, a damaging job, being able to go into their houses to see them with their kids, truly, truly, they were doing the best that they could. It is it great? Absolutely not. Is it good? Sometimes not even good, but they're trying. So if they're going to try, then we have to do our best. Social services does the best that they can, but they are so limited sometimes in their 
powers, their ability to intervene, that uh, it made it really, really difficult. That's why it was so important that when they got off the bus, um, we had they, they were with us and we were going to do whatever we could. Heartbreaking, putting them back on the bus some days, but we had to do the best we could with the time we had. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that if you can... You know, if you can touch a child, a human being, a parent, whoever, if you can touch them with that compassionate piece, they don't feel judged. And maybe that is just a little tiny bit of an opening where they want to take it just a bit further in being a better, I, I, you know, you hate to label it like that because it's not about better. I mean, we all do things as parents that are like, yikes, wish I could take that back, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I mean, there's me, not me uh, totally, and so, and and then, and then you beat yourself up because all of that stuff that's going on. Um, but if you are shown some compassion, you know what I'm trying to say that maybe that's just a little step they need to go. Okay, hold on, I what can I do to change this? Yeah, what what I found, and it was what was so cool is that we, um, because of the uniqueness of the school. We could do so many out of the box types of things because the regular school system wasn't working for them. So to um, throw out the curriculum for a day or a week or whatever, to make sure that this kid was seen, to make sure that this kid heard um, when they did something right, to praise the shit out of them when we had the chance to, because they never got that. Mm-hmm. And to see them understand that they're worth something and they're worth the love that we're trying to provide them. Mm-hmm. It was really, really cool to see them smile, to laugh authentically. Uh, and it was, again, such a gift for me to have worked with this staff and to have watched these students grow. Some of I mean, we didn't win them all. There were students that left us and ended up in jail. Uh, But I know uh, they're going to remember some of the times that they were with us and how they felt when things did go okay. Yeah. And I, and you know, that's so important. You know, every child certainly is entitled to those basic, you know, safety, security, trust. Every child does not get it. I can tell you as a child of the foster care system, in the beginning and the home that I lived in, I mean, certainly wasn't the worst case scenario, but was a lot of, um, a lot of damaged um, uh, toolbox building there. And there is always one person on your journey, if you're lucky, that is the one that you remember. And I, ha- I have that person for me where I swear I would not have made it if it hadn't have been for him to step in and be there and no judgment on my parents. He was, he was very kind and he got it. Right. Um, And then as you get older, you never do forget that person. So, I mean, even if you've, you've done that for one, you and your team, if you've done that for one person, um, is that, is that enough, Larry? It's, that was, that was what kept us going and exactly what you said, Helen, that, that one person, I, I told our team um, weekly because the work is hard. I said, we have a chance. We have that gift. God's providing at that gift that we can be 
that person. And maybe that, maybe that time is right now. Maybe that time is today. We don't know. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee that, but, um, love love wins in the end and it'll conquer a lot of stuff. Yeah, I I agree with that. Absolutely. And like you say, if you have, um, if you have, uh, any faith in, in God, the universe, whatever that is for anybody, uh, if you can learn to trust that, that is very powerful. And that's on all sides of the coin for that one. So with the staff that you worked with, I mean, I have such um, respect for for the work that teachers do. I, I don't know why anyone would choose that. I mean, I couldn't choose it. I, I just, I don't know if I could have found, um, I mean, I'm not known for my patients, shall we say. I mean, I'm very good with people, but <laughs> I'd be like, ooh, boy. Because here's the reality. Kids are human beings, and we don't like everybody. It's, you can't like everybody. But I think the key is that you have to find the compassion for everybody, whatever that journey is. How did you keep your team, how did you keep their spirits from failing? Because you must have gone home sometimes thinking, what, what am I doing? Or did you never, ever go, oh my gosh, I, I believe in this. And I don't doubt that you always believed in it, but did you ever just go home and say, oh my gosh, the weight of this day is, has gotten to me? All the time, to be perfectly honest, Ellen. Um, and if it wasn't me, it was um, for our staff. I mean, it was not uncommon to be hit, to be sworn at, to be spit on, um, to uh, be scratched, to be pinched uh, during some of these, because these students were, were, were so used to being aggressive or getting their frustrations out, their anxiety, whatever you might want to call it, uh, to do it in a way that was really, really damaging. Uh, and that damage came on the staff lots of times. And to, I mean, I'd be lying if I said and go, what are we doing here? Like people are getting hurt. Uh, people are getting called names that nobody in anywhere should be called these names. How do these seven-year-olds know this type of language? It's unbelievable. Um, but we had to laugh as well, had to be, get our sense of humor and be able to do that and understand whatever happened, it's over and not to be able to take it home because it was, it was tough. I would get calls at night with, from staff asking if I could phone the parents of a certain kid to make sure the kid was okay. So they, it was hard not to bring it home. uh, But uh, keeping an eye on the staff and their, Mental well-being was as much a part of my job anyway it was, was it was keep making sure the kids were there because if my staff wasn't good, then that was going to affect the kids. So we all had to be good. Mm-hmm. And so who held you up in these times other than your family, I am assuming? But totally. who, held, who held you up that you could well, get up again another day and go, okay, here we go. Wash, uh, rinse, and repeat. <laughs> you know what? It was... It was it was not hard doing that because there were, if you look for it, there are many breakthroughs every day. Um, a smile that a student had, um, a hug that they gave you, a math problem that they finally solved because they didn't have to rip their paper up because they got so frustrated that I can do it. 
to see that some of those things in their eyes to show that somebody cares and I accomplished something, I can be a student because the goal for these kids was for us to have them for a time period and then um, integrate them back into a regular so they could be a regular kid. Cause in the end, that's all they, that was what they wanted the most mm-hmm. was to be a regular kid to go to a birthday party once to play in the playground with some friends in the neighborhood to uh, go with my parents to a movie and to wave at another kid who is at the movies with their parents. Just these really basic, simple things. That's all they wanted. And so we needed to show them that um, they could be that person. That's absolutely beautiful what you just said. And, you know, don't we all want that now, even in totally. people into our 50s? We just want to be, we just want to be a part of the world and in not yeah. a way that you are you know, ostracized for things that you don't necessarily understand that are your control. I mean, just, and and, you know, I I can tell you as a damaged teenager, I really struggled through life for a long, long time until, you know, all of a sudden it was like, I, it was likely when it was the birth of my son where it was like, okay, now I'm responsible entirely for another human being. And (laughs) Right. And so yeah. you do, you want to, you want to fit in with the parents. You don't want to have, you know, be that mother, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, boy, you just beat yourself up all the time. So and even if you have a measure of emotional intelligence as a young adult or an adult, uh, imagine these little seven-year-olds who haven't even gotten a chance to develop and, and it's okay to be frustrated. It's just how you, um, how you communicate your frustration. Yeah, it, like for, for some of them, which is uh, one of the saddest parts, but so rewarding when we break through a little bit, is to convince these kids that they deserve to be loved too and to, uh, to show them that. And no matter what, no matter what you call me, no matter what you tried to do, you kicked me, whatever happened, we're still going to love you. And it's, that's hard a hard shell to break for some kids that they don't want to get hurt again. So I don't want to, I don't want to care about it. I don't want to love somebody because I don't want to get hurt again Mm -hmm. and to show them that it's worth it and they're worth it. Um, again, such a, a huge gift that showed me what's really, really important. So the students needed to be, um, right with themselves before they can learn. Right. Very cool. Uh, and very satisfying, I can tell that by the sound of your voice. Are there any of the kids that you worked with uh, that you still are in contact? Is there one in particular other than that one that you know we talked about earlier? But are there any that keep in contact? Are there any that you sit and go, oh my gosh, I wonder what happened to them? Um, fortunately, I, I still in some contact with the school. So I've been back a few times to see some of the kids. Um, and it's interesting because you become so attached and they become attached to you. The initial reaction to me with some of these things is, um, anger because you left them, but being able to stay in contact again, there's some kids that it's not good. I mean, they're, they left school, they're back on, they're on the street. Parents don't know where they are. Don't know what's happening. 
Uh, but there are also some kids who left the school, went to typical schools, uh, and either graduated from high school or are in junior high now or are doing okay. To say they're uh, all of a sudden they're fixed would be a lie, but they're doing okay. And when they when they leave the school and I get to follow them a little bit, it's, again, you don't win them all, but the ones that are doing okay, it's so worth it. Yeah, and you just, you just touched on something that's really dear to my heart. There is never a fixed. There is always going to be those ghosts of the past, those whispers of the past, those triggers. And what's beautiful is when you manage to get your toolbox to a place where you don't need to react from a place of fear or, or a place of survival. But, you know, it's, it will always, just speaking from experience, it's always there. And sometimes you have control of it and sometimes you don't. And you're like always kind of just self-talk, self-talk, self-talk. It's so important. Yeah. And I mean, there's only so much you can do in your role. And, you know, just by, by the grace of God, some of these people are going to make it and, and some aren't. And I think that's true no matter what uh, with people. One of the markers that we used as we met about students and determined whether or not they were ready to move on from our school into a more typical school was their ability to try no matter what, even though they probably will fail. And dealing with that failure in a positive, constructive way was such a huge, huge piece that to understand that, you know what, even if you fail, it's going to be okay. And you're going to be okay. And that's a, that was a tough, tough bridge to cross for so many of them. But we knew when they were willing to go there more often than not, they're going to be okay. Yeah. And, you know, we should really just take that word failure right out of the English language, I think, because, you know, even in a failure is, is a success, is an opportunity for a success. And, and again, as adults, you know, we all think, oh my gosh, that was a failure. What the heck was I thinking? And you beat yourself up and all of those things, right? Yes. Yeah. We we always said, we always used opportunity for them. Oh, you, you get another opportunity to do that. That's, yeah, yeah you, I think you're going to be able to do way better next time. And it's just, again, is that constant, like you said, self-talk and convincing them mm-hmm. that uh, um, it's okay. If we'll do that question again, it's okay. Um, I know you're trying to not swear, but we're going in the right direction. Right. So now uh, we've got to we've got to take a quick break. But the uh, the other side to this is this article that you've been working on. It I know is dear to your heart and is very interesting. So we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our EWN uh, leader Sandra Yancey, and we will be right back. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. 
So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand, and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. You're listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is Larry Tomiyama, who is uh, this amazing teacher. I wish you'd, well, you're too young to be when I was a kid, but you would have been <laughs> a great, <laughs> great source for me, I think, for little Helen when she was going through her childhood. So you had written, uh, or were, you're not, it's not published, but you're working on an article, and it is about the it factor, isn't it? Yes. Do you want to speak to that? Sure. Full disclosure, I don't sleep a lot. And lots of times I roll around, I get these thoughts in my head, and, and then I forget them. Uh, but this time, um, I think God put it on my heart to, to get out of bed, get your butt downstairs, and, and put this down on paper. So that's what happened. It was like four in the morning, and, and I wrote this because I've always uh, believed, uh, because working with teachers in training uh, was that either a person has it or they don't. But it doesn't mean anything if you can't articulate what it is. And so I've tried on many number of occasions to try and articulate it and uh, not successfully. But something came into my head and I thought, well, this, this is a great, great start. So I put the thoughts down on paper and I, I called it the power of it. Uh, it begins with uh, and a lot has to do with the model that we use at Our Lady of Lords in terms of creating safety, creating security, building to trust, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But that it factor, some of the, our teachers, some of our support staff had it. What does that mean? Uh, and so I kind of put a diagram together um, on an X and Y axis on the vertical axis, I put timing, and on the horizontal axis, I put emotional slash intellectual intelligence. So what I want to trying to articulate is that it factor is someone needs to be emotionally intelligent. They have to have some intellect, but also they know need to know when they need to use it. And how to use it. So a person can be a great, a, a good teacher, know the curriculum, intellectual intelligence, uh, being able to pass facts on, being able to pass concepts on. Uh, but when we're talking about fostering, nurturing students, uh, especially some of the ones that may be having difficulty, that may not be in the greatest learning mode, being able to intervene at that right moment and make a difference in that kid's life, to me, that's what it is. And I think you can have degrees of it, but if you want to be a great teacher, uh, and then I've kind of extrapolated later in the article to leadership, you can be a effective or competent leader. If you want to be a great leader, 
You need to have that emotional intelligence, that ability to build relationships. You need to be intellectually intelligent, but you also know when to do something, recognize something, and timing is everything to make a difference in that employee's life, to make a difference in that person that you're talking to at that time. So I'm not sure if it's making sense to you, uh, but uh, that combination of emotional intelligence and timing to me is a, an ability, a gift. Not everybody has, uh, I mean, not everybody can be great at. Um, and the people who are great at that, I think are the people that can make difference in the lives of a lot of people. Oh, I, I absolutely get that. And I think, you know, that speaks to, uh, you know, when you're talking about credentials and, and this, and this goes, I think this feeds out into all of society for that it factor in every profession, there is someone who just the cream rises right to the top and consistently. And then there's someone that has little glimpses of it. And it's just, and I think it all will work if you can figure out where you fit into the big picture. Is that, is that what yeah, would yeah. work? And, yeah. And one of the things that I fail, I kind of threw this out there to a, a, a number of people uh, that I respect their opinion of. And uh, one of the things that came out was the whole experience factor. Where does experience come in? You can have it, but where does experience come in? And it makes a lot of sense that, I mean, we go through that, our journey in our life and, and some things work out, some things don't, uh, some things uh, click, some things don't, but that learning provides that intelligence to us uh, to aid in terms of knowing the timing piece as well. So I think experience is a factor as well. And, and in doing that, but to me that, it, it is more innate than it is something that's been learned. And I mean, not even on, on the level of, of what you're doing, but it, even for me, for the work I do, I, I didn't um, necessarily have or take an opportunity to get an education, uh, a formal education in what I do. I mean, I've got lots of training, but my experience in life has certainly given me a great deal of the um, emotional intelligence I need to to talk to people about, you know, their grieving and talk to them about their traumas. And, you know, sometimes those journeys come from some of the worst journeys that people have gone on. They find their gift and in, in, in that they get the it factor. They are the it factor because they know exactly the walk. They don't necessarily know each step of every person. You can't know that, but you get the walk. I don't, I don't think there's any substitute. Some of the unfortunate situations, experiences that you had, Helen, it's so much, you can't, uh, how you felt during those particular situations and, and things that were going on, there's no substitute. So those experiences that you've had are so real, so authentic, that's, that means everything. I agree. And I, you know, I, I will hear from time to time just through, you know, talking to um, all kinds of people, they'll have someone they know in their life and they're like, well, they're just ruined. And it always makes me really sad because no, they might get the one person 
um, the Larry, uh, the Larry's team, they might get that person that gives them a glimpse of hope that they will be able to, you know, walk through whatever their journey has been, walk through that mud, as I always like to say. And you don't know that they can't find the gift in that. That's why I love doing the work I do. It's like every experience you've had is a potential opportunity to find the gift, uh, right? So even when your case with the work that you've done, you know, the gift that you have, and you can hear it when you talk about it, it you know, you definitely have it, Larry. But the gift, well, I mean, well, <laughs> well, you always will. We always have to, right? But I mean, I remember when you were when you were speaking on stage about this one particular child that that's really um, uh, shaped you as who, as you are as an educator. I think he may have had part of the shaping. But, Absolutely. Um, but you get it, like you you get down to that that level of where you need to go, walking in the mud, and figuring out how you're going to be that person for that, that other human being, even if it's for a short while, you just don't know um, the gift you've given them. Can I give you a, a quick story, Helen? To kind of, of course. Yes, um, please. I'm going to call this student Billy for, for a lack of better words. Billy was a uh, grade uh, eight student who uh, came to us very much a bully, very aggressive, uh, was not successful at a bunch of schools. I uh, came to us and I, for whatever reason, became a rock star. He, within months, we, Billy, why are you here? Why did you have to act like that? You're a leader here. You're awesome. Um, and I think it, all it took was for him to understand he didn't need to be like that. He needed to be cared for. So he came to my office and I was uh, explaining some things because I let him know is that we're ready to uh, transition you back to your community school because you've been doing here so well for the next six weeks after that he was a disaster back to his old ways not doing any of his schoolwork, um, trying to hurt other students fights etc cetera, etc cetera. so I brought him in again and in my principal voice I uh, let him have it and told him uh, what's going to become of you if you keep doing this what's going to happen and basically told me to f off to uh, um you don't care about me. I don't care about you. So let's just leave it at that. I had nothing. I had, I didn't know what to say at that point. There's nothing. I said, Billy, you leave me no choice. I'm going to have to suspend you. And he says, I don't care. Go ahead. Suspend me. You don't give a shit about me anyway. So I had nothing, but that statement, that reaching out just to say, how can I help you? If I would have done that from the beginning, I think we could have maybe got a little bit further. But it's the timing of that particular small sentence that turned this kid around. That it wasn't about being in the principal's office, getting a consequence, being suspended, etc. It was about another opportunity for us to show him that we cared about him and it was going to be okay. And the kid that we saw after that was so much better not perfect not by any means but he needed that at that time and God gave me the words to say at that time fortunately Mm -hmm. well and you know I mean you can and and the thing is is when I'm when I'm hearing that story it's like 
that lashing out, it comes from a place of fear. It comes from being disappointing another human being for whatever reason. And it's almost like, well, I've come this far, I might as well just go for broke. And the minute you said, what can I do to help you? Really? I mean, it put it back onto his shoulders and he was able to be honest with what he needed. Yeah, I put, I put him in a corner and he had to come out swinging. That, that was the... Yeah. That was the way. That was the way that you're supposed to do it at principal school, or I thought. But um, again, being being able to work with these kids as closely as I got to, that uh, it, I learned so much from them to show me what's important, um, and that's what I hope to be able to pass on to the student teachers, educators that I get to talk to, uh, whatever I do consulting wise, whatever it is. Uh, again, that's, that's what's important. And if you don't have that, it's not going to work. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and uh, you know, I mean, that's beautiful. And, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, uh, I, I can't remember how old I was. I think it was grade seven. There was a wonderful movie out called To Sir With Love. And you kind of remind me of that Sydney uh, Portier, Portier uh, <laughs> figure. You know what I mean? Like they just, he was, uh, I mean, watch that. If you've, have you ever seen that, that show, To I Serve think, I, I, don't rem- I don't remember it, but uh, I think I've seen it, Helen. But. Yeah. But that's the sense that I get. And I, I'm almost like, I wonder if you could steal that title for your book. Now, please tell me that you are writing a book about, the experiences and what you learned. Cause you know, you touch on that. It, it is what you've learned too. You, you know, we're not, none of us know everything and be able to give that child that, that child gave you that gift of learning. Okay. You can't back them into a corner. This is what you do. And now you get to share that with um, your teacher in your teacher training. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, I mean, I, there's no substitute for being able to live that. And I mean, there's lots of people that are way smarter than me, uh, way more uh, scholarly, et cetera, et cetera. But just like you, my experiences are mine, nobody else's. Uh, and I know what I saw in that student's eyes and Billy's eyes at that minute. And I know how that felt and I know how he felt. Um, and those are the things that especially beginning teachers uh, haven't felt yet. And I hope they get a chance to. Well, they will if you're, if you're teaching them, I think. <laughs> but so are you, are you working on a book? Um, you mean, you know, you're doing that article on the it, on the it intelligence and timing, but could you, do you envision a book that could be in the system for teaching and here's my experiences, here's my journey, here's my billies, I'm going to share those stories. And I mean, that's a great piece to be able to teach people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have pieces of 10 chapters, Helen, Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the power of it or the it factor, whatever you want to call it is one of those, one of those chapters. Uh, But I, it's there. So hopefully I can get my act together and uh, being able to, to work on it, finish it. But I, it's, I want it authentic. I want it to be real. Uh, it, it, the foundation of it is the model that we used at Our Lady of Lords, And it's gone to um, what that it factor is for teachers. 
uh, but also into leadership as well. Because mm-hmm. I had the opportunity and the chance to work with a lot of staff, not just at the Lady Lords, but other places. I made a lot of mistakes. I learned from them. I, I saw in the end, people want to work and be safe. People want to be able to predict as much as possible um, what's going to happen next in their day-to-day lives. People want to know that what's going to happen if I make a mistake? What's the boss going to do? What's they do? They need to know that it's going to be okay. And then when you have that trust piece, you can do anything. And hopefully through my experiences, I can articulate that in the right way and then being able to provide a resource for anybody who wants to read it. Yeah, and I think it extends to, like you say, it it it, it can extend across uh, across uh, the board. Really, it isn't just you. Totally. It isn't just for teaching. I mean, it, it works in business. It works in personal. It works in all kinds of things and relationships and working with youth and all of those things. And but you know, just from experience, in I mean, you have that faith. You have a deep faith. I know you do. And what it, it will, that book will come together when it's ready to come together. You know, that stuff is, um, you know, you, you can't rush through that stuff. There's not a uh, cookie cutter way to write a book of that importance. I, again, I, I just want it to be as real and um, doing some of the speaking that I have. I, I now know that when people are listening, they're listening to how I felt during some of my experiences more than some of the other lists and th- other things that can put on a PowerPoint, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that they understand that, how did you make that kid feel? And, and a lot of those things you can't measure, uh, but it's worth understanding and it's worth making sure that um, you're doing things the right way, especially if you're dealing with people. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of power in storytelling. So, um, Larry, oh, my gosh. I mean, this was uh, this is fascinating to me. So, w- and no pressure, um, uh, but you did say that you don't sleep, so whatever on the book. <laughs> but um, I would love to do a follow-up chat with you when your book is um, published whenever that is. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Um, thank you so much for joining. I know we just really skimmed the surface of, of the experiences you've had, but you know, you just get such a sense of it from listening to you that that passion comes screaming through you and it's beautiful. And, you know, I mean, uh, my younger Helen, uh, thanks you for being able to give that gift to other younger uh, Billy's and all that age, you know, you're doing a very, very important, meaningful work and, and um, you need to give yourself a great big pat on the back. As exhausting as it is doing what you're doing, it's, a, it's beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been my pleasure. And I mean, I think just knowing a little bit about your story, reading your book, Helen, uh, you get it. And uh, it's been easy having this conversation with you and um, I'll have time for you anytime. That's wonderful. You have been listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. Thank you for joining me today. And that is a wrap. Thank you for listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. 
To learn more about Helen's journaling retreats, speaking engagements, and life coaching, or to sign up for her newsletter, please visit HelenRose.ca. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.